Well, Father, it's with great joy that we reach for our Bibles, and we love it, Lord, when you impact our lives. Father, we need it. We need the Word of God to shape us and to mold us, to convict us and to change us, to conform us into the image of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it's also with great joy that we reflect upon our fathers today and thank you for all that they mean to us and all that they've done for us. Father, I am mindful that perhaps there have been some who've uh, been offended and hurt by their fathers. I pray that you would just heal hearts today, encourage and strengthen us, I pray. Lord, you know our needs. Minister to us through your word. Minister individually to us through your Holy Spirit. We commit ourselves to the hearing and the doing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we have the, the intersection of, of two concepts that at first might seem unrelated. Um, first of all, it's Father's Day, and so congratulations and happy Father's Day again to all you fathers out there. But as we return to 1 Timothy this morning, we have a, a three-word text uh, that we build our message upon today, and it is able to teach. And so we have the intersection of our message on teaching with the holiday event of Father's Day And if you stop and think about it, they really are related, aren't they? Because to be a father is to be a teacher. You cannot not teach if you're a father. And I do want to encourage our fathers today. However, as we take our Bibles and turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we return, we've been kind of interrupted in our 1 Timothy series, but I trust that you've appreciated and enjoyed all the ministries that have gone on. Uh, Janet and I had a great time away last week celebrating for a few days our 28th wedding anniversary. We ended up out in Asheville, North Carolina in Pigeon Forge area. I call Pigeon Forge Myrtle Beach on steroids with no beach and uh, can't wait not to go back. But I had a great time with the lovely Janet Marceau and uh, we uh, are so thankful for that needed and good time away. And I am so appreciative of Tom Jesserin. Great to have Tom and Heidi back with us. They're ministering in Michigan today. Tom does such a good job opening God's word and we appreciate them so much. So whatever happens, you be faithful and keep coming. Uh, Next Sunday, pray for us as we, Janet and I, will be taking the Bible quiz team out to the IFCA Youth Convention. And uh, Pastor Everett will be here. You'll have communion next Sunday. And then all of July and August, Lord willing, we'll have consistency to kind of plow through 1 Timothy. And I look forward to that. We're back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. And we have been taking this list of qualities that Paul, writing to young Timothy, Timothy's a pastor in a city called Ephesus. The church has had some problems. Paul knows the ministry very well. And he's writing this letter, the epistle of 1 Timothy, to young Timothy so that he knows what to do to help strengthen the church. One of the things that is so important that he's doing here is he's telling him what kind of men are qualified to be spiritual leaders in the local church. And we can illustrate uh, forever all of the problems that are created in churches across the country and around the world when we ignore this list and we appoint unqualified people, unqualified men to church leadership and spiritual leadership. So know this, know that... Our application and our interpretation of this text is first and foremost to the spiritual leadership of the church. What do elders and pastors and those given the spiritual oversight of a ministry, 
What are what is the criteria? What are their credentials? And that's what we've been breaking down and studying. But we also uh, want to use this as a template for spiritual growth, as we've been saying, for all of the men. We're all called to be these things. And as I was thinking about this aspect of teaching, uh, I think it applies to all of us. You cannot not teach. You can especially not not teach if you're a father. I was reminded of this this week. Um, Our son, Jonathan, has a little lawn mowing business going. And... um, uh, I'm kind of his facilitator. It's my truck, my lawnmower, my weed whacker. I try to get some money off him for gas, but he, ro- he does the bank rolling. And uh, he rides on the big zero turn. And uh, since it takes too much time for me to drop him off at a lawn and come back home, then he calls. He's all done. I end up waiting there for him. And instead of standing around, I end up being weed whacker guy. And so... I'm the one getting dirty and sweating. He's riding on the zero turn with his big hat on, uh, raking in the money. And so we have this lawn that's a pretty big lawn, and it doesn't take me too long to weed whack it. And uh, as it works out, there's a family in our church next to this customer of Jonathan's. There's a family in our church that lives right next door and has an adjacent lot. And so when I'm whipping out the weed whacker and I'm weed whacking, and Jonathan still has almost an hour of mowing to do, I just uh, go down their fence line and I turn and I go up into this uh, church family's yard and I hit some of their rough spots and just do it as a favor, just, you know, because I appreciate them and and I want them to really like me as their pastor. And so anyway, um, I was doing, I've done that a few times and... A couple weeks ago, Jonathan had the lawn to himself. I had to drop him off. I had things to do. He had to do the whole thing. He called me and said, Dad, I'm ready to go. I was very busy. And uh, we, I had to run over there to pick him up and get the lawnmower. And there he is over in the church family's yard weed whacking. And I'm a little bit frustrated. I said, come on, come on, come on, let's go. And I go over there. I, I think I even drove the truck across their lawn going to pick him up. And I'm like... What are you doing? What are you doing? Let's go. You called me. You said you're ready. I got the tractor loaded. And he just looked at me and he was quiet and he said, well, dad, it's what you always do. Wow. I didn't tell him to do it. I just did it to kill time. Fathers, you cannot not teach. I'll tell you something else. Spiritual leaders in the church cannot not teach. People are watching the spiritual leadership of the church. Your behavior, your modeling, and your words. Well, let's look at our text. We, uh, let's read a little bit of it. Remember, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, an elder, he desires a noble task. It's a high calling. And as a result of that, not just anybody can do it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. To be above reproach, you must be the husband of one wife, you must be sober-minded, you must be self-controlled, you must be respectable, you must be hospitable, and our text today, you must be able to teach. What I'd like to do in the minutes that we have is I would like us to do a Bible study, and I would like us to glean six biblical truths, really there's seven, I threw one on in, on the end, I think... Uh, seven's a better number than six, isn't it? And so seven biblical truths about this matter of being a teacher, keeping in mind, first and foremost, that our direct application is to the spiritual leadership of the church. But 
there is a fallout of application to all fathers here and really to all of us. All of us have someone to whom we are showing some influence, that we're modeling, that we're patterning. Mommies influence their children. Children influence their friends. At some level, we all have teachable opportunities. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says. He said that, uh, first of all, that it is, number one, it is an expected normal capacity. It is an expected normal capacity for an elder in the local church to be a teacher. You will see, as you study the rest of the list, where he says here he must be able to teach. That idea, able to teach, um, the old King James puts apt to teach. He is likely to teach. Spiritual leaders are likely to teach. They are able to teach. The word also has a, 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 a meaning of being qualified to teach. If you are a spiritual leader, you are qualified to teach. Now, what does this mean? Um, you know, if you stop and think about it and you step back, there are all kinds of opportunities to teach. There's large group settings, there's small group settings, there's one-on-one settings over a cup of coffee, and there's just the modeling of watching a life where they are teaching with their lifestyle. You'll see that in one of our verses that we look up here. We're going to look up a number of verses, and I hope you'll stay keenly interested and follow with me and benefit from our Bible study this morning. It is an expected normal capacity. I want you to note that if we, later on, when we go through this passage and we look at what the role of the deacon is, you will find that this point of being apt to teach or able to teach or called to teach is one of the dynamics that is a distinctive between the two lists. There are some similarities in the list, but the deacon role, the servants of the church, their role is not one where they are required to be able to teach so much. However, as I've said, no matter who you are, you're influencing someone. Your life is teaching, whether your words are or not. Let's take a minute and let's flip over to Titus, because I want you to see that when the Apostle Paul gave a very similar list to Titus, another young pastor who was on the island of Crete to set those churches in order... The Apostle Paul gave a little bit more explanation on this particular point when he gave very similar lists as to the dynamics of spiritual leadership in the church. When he wrote it to Titus, uh, I kind of imagine it being a little bit like uh, some of you Civil War buffs. You know that when, when Robert E. Lee, General Lee, would write battle instructions or strategy plans and put them on a piece of paper and send them with a courier, especially in the days of the heyday of Stonewall Jackson being in charge, that he gave very simple instruction that was not detailed and Stonewall could understand what Lee meant. Later on, it caused some problems when Stonewall was killed and other generals took, the, took his place. They weren't used to these short instructions that Robert E. Lee And Stonewall Jackson had become very accustomed to to communicating. It's a little bit that way with the Apostle Paul and his right-hand man, Timothy. All he has to say is he has to be able to teach. And Timothy, I think, computed and understood what Paul was calling for there. What kind of a man is it? What his life means, his words, his modeling. When he writes Titus, it's interesting. It's like Paul gives a little bit deeper explanation of what he means on this point. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. And this is where, correlating with the two lists that are very similar, 1 Timothy and Titus, that he expands on this concept. 
Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that, instead of just saying he is able to teach, he says so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so he sheds a little bit of light on it for us. This is an expected normal capacity for a spiritual leader in the local church, an elder, a bishop, a pastor. They should, according to what he tells Titus there, first of all, be able to A, communicate sound doctrine. They have to know what they're talking about. They ought to be able to sit down with their Bible and they ought to be able to give explanation to someone at a kitchen table, at a, over a cup of coffee at McDonald's, or in a small group Sunday school class. And whether they have the, the ability and the confidence to stand in front of a large group, that's not for everyone, but that doesn't mean you're not a teacher. And so they ought to be able to explain and communicate sound doctrine. The next thing you see on the list that they have to be able to do is they need to be able to rebuke those who are violating sound doctrine or who are contradicting sound doctrine. So one of the things that this spiritual leader, and if you're a teacher, you need to be reading, you need to be growing. If you're a leader, you've got to be developing your mind and be aware of what's happening so that when you hear certain words, you hear certain phrases, you think, I wonder about that. That's kind of, I've been doing some reading about it, and then you recognize that contradicts sound doctrine. We live in an era where you can't hardly keep current with the wacky things that are being read, written and read and accepted across the churches in America. It is such an important time for elders to know sound doctrine, for elders to be able to know and recognize and then to be able to refute it. What a challenge. That's what it means to be able to teach, to sit down with somebody, to be able to take a Sunday school class, to be able to sit in someone's living room and to be able to take the Bible and to show them, no, 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 this is what God taught us. This is what the Apostle Paul taught. This is what the Bible says. And to teach, it's the normal, the normal capacity for an elder. Secondly, I want you to see by turning to Ephesians chapter 4, please, to Ephesians chapter 4, that... Teaching in the local church, sound doctrinal teaching by competent spiritual teachers in the local church is, secondly, it is the key to spiritual stability for our church. Why did Paul put this in the list? Why do spiritual leaders need to be able to teach? Because it is the key to a stable church. Ephesians 4 is where it lists... Teaching, it's one of three places in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, list teaching as a spiritual gift. I noticed in my commentaries, I read about six commentaries on the book of 1 Timothy, um, that, that they did not agree as to what Paul was calling for, for what it meant for the elder to be able to teach. Uh, some commentaries believe and built a case for the fact that an elder needed to be identified with a spiritual gift of teaching. Other New Testament commentaries and Bible scholars n didn't necessarily build a case for that. And they said he needed to be able to teach whether he was gifted to teach or not. And you know the difference. A spiritual gift is something that you receive at salvation that God equips you specifically to do. And essentially, you cannot not do it. If you have the gift of giving, if you have the gift of, of encouragement, you have the gift of administration, if you have the gift of teaching, you'll just find yourself doing those things. And it's something that lights you, lights you up with joy, and you love to do it. 
And if you have the gift of teaching and you hear that junior church needs teachers or a Sunday school class, you're like, man, I would like to teach that. Junior high boys need a summer teacher. Yeah, I'd like to do that. There's something in you. When you, if you have the gift of giving and a guy like Nate stands up front and he starts to blubber, man alive, tear us up here. And he, and he's, you know, his heart's moved. He's into what he's doing. He believes in the gospel. He believes it changes lives. And there's a people group that is so in need. You're sitting there. If you have the gift of giving, you can't not give, man. You're like, I'll give. Yeah, where can I give? That's how spiritual gifts work. I tend to believe that what Paul is calling for here is the necessity of it to be the norm for an elder to be able to teach. And some elders will have the gift and others will not. And that there, as far as public verbal lecture teaching, I think that all elders... All spiritual leaders in the church need to be able to handle their Bible and with confidence sit down in a classroom or with a group of people or in someone's living room and communicate truth and defend truth. Other elders might be more gifted, perhaps, at uh, coming alongside someone in their hospital room and teaching in that context and encouraging them and pointing them to Christ. Maybe in the middle of the night as a sick baby is taken to the emergency room, that elder is just really good at holding, helping that family hold together and, and bringing up some principles that they need to rest upon right then. Not everybody is called to preach, as we'll see in just a minute, but it is the key to spiritual stability. And you'll see here that in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, and this is interesting to me, that he's writing... The church at Ephesus, Ephesians, that's the church where Timothy, 1 Timothy, is pastoring. And this is the letter that he wrote directly, Paul wrote directly to the church. 1 Timothy is a letter he wrote to the pastor at the church at at Ephesus. And he gave the apostles and he gave prophets, verse 11, chapter 4, Ephesians. And he gave some evangelists, shepherds and teachers. There they are. He gave those to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The job of the spiritual leadership is to teach the people to know how to do the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. We're supposed to be growing and building up. Until what? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into, the ESV translate, into mature manhood. It's a word picture for mature spiritual adults is what we are. To the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, if you want to have a stable church, be growing and maturing from the teachers of the church. That's why you ought to come to Sunday school. That's why you ought to be in a Bible study on Wednesday night or Tuesday morning or whenever they're offered. First thing we know about this role of teaching, the first biblical truth, it is it is the expected normal capacity for the elder. We see in Ephesians 4.11 that it is the key to spiritual stability. I want you to see something I was just touching upon a little bit. Back in 1 Timothy in chapter 5 this time, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Number 3, I want you to see that even in the early church, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, that there was evidence of a functional disparity, I call it. A functional disparity. That is, that not all of the elders function in the same way. There was some disparity in their roles. And that's what I was referencing a few minutes ago, that though all elders are called to teach, 
and be able to explain God's word and defend God's word. And all elders are to teach to the end goal, to the maturing of the church, for the stability of the church, that there is a disparity among elders as to who functions and how. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now we're going to touch, we'll, we'll hit this passage in the weeks ahead when we get to chapter 5 and develop it a little bit more. But you can see by just a, a simple glance down at that verse that there is a disparity among the elders and that some of the elders... And Paul says you should hold them up in, in higher esteem, and that happens, doesn't it? The ones who, the spiritual leaders who end up with the most public preaching and teaching roles, like what we call our senior pastor roles generally, often have a little higher elevation. They get to run the organization, and people look up to them, and that kind of thing. And so he says, they, those who labor in preaching and teaching, He's talking about all the elders, but among the elders, there are some whose labor is given to preaching and teaching. More on that later, but suffice it now to say that there's evidence of a functional disparity. The fourth thing I want you to see is that this teaching and spiritual truth transfer, where we're teaching people around us, is clearly, number four, a pastoral priority. We're in 1 Timothy. I want you to look at chapter 4 and look at verse 13. Clearly, teaching is to be a pastoral priority. By pastoral, I mean the shepherding of the flock, the oversight of their spiritual maturation and, and transfer of truth is to be ongoing in a number of ways. In chapter 4, verse 13, look what it says. Paul tells Timothy, until I come, and look at the language that he uses, Devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. What's young Pastor Timothy supposed to be devoted to? Doing the kids' camps? Taking the food down to the food bank? He is to be devoted. All those things are good. All of those things fit in the goal and the mission of the church. Any number of things. But he is to be devoted to exhortation and the teaching of the Word. I want to tell you that I really appreciate our elders and our church through the years, all of our elder board. Corporately, when we come together, we'll regularly remind the pastors. They will remind me. They will do it individually as well. And they will say, listen, guys, the most important thing about Fellowship Bible Church is the preaching and teaching of God's word. And I think that's biblical. And I think that's first and foremost the role of the spiritual leader. Are we teaching and preaching God's word faithfully? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, another example of this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen, that's a strategy for ministry. Receiving the word of God from those who've taught it to us in this situation. It's the Apostle Paul teaching it to Timothy. Timothy is to identify faithful men and he's to invest his life in teaching them the word of God. 
2 Timothy 2.24, since we're right there, let your eyes go over to 2.24. And the Lord's servant, that would be the spiritual leader, must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to everyone. He must be there. It is, again, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 13, because our next point is going to have a verse in Hebrews. And one more verse under the fact that this is a pastoral priority. Teaching is a pastoral priority Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7. Look what he says here. The writer of Hebrews is exhorting the Hebrew believers because they have turned away from the gospel of grace and are returning to Judaism and a system of works for their salvation and going back to the sacrificial system, the reshedding of blood for our salvation when Christ once for all has shed his blood for us. And it is a grace system. By grace you are saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And look what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, uh, beginning with, look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Now look at this. And imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Listen, if you're a spiritual leader... You cannot not teach people are watching you. If you don't think so, do something really dumb and you'll find out how much people are watching you. Say something really ignorant and you'll find out how closely people are really listening if you're in leadership. We're to be an example. That's why there's a criteria. People are watching and they are called in the church to imitate the faith of the spiritual leaders. That's why it's a serious responsibility to be one of these teachers. In fact, it's so serious that James said, don't do it. Don't do it unless you really know what you're doing. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, you better be careful if you're a teacher because you're going to stand under greater condemnation before the Lord someday. People are watching, people are listening, people are emulating and modeling and are receiving from you. You had better know for sure you're teaching them the word of God. Well, we see that this is the the expected normal capacity to be a teacher if you're an elder and a spiritual leader. We see that it's the key to spiritual stability in our church, Ephesians 4.11 and on. There was evidence, even in the early church, of a functional disparity of roles. Some taught and preached at at a greater level or capacity than others. It is clearly to be a pastoral priority. And while we're in Hebrews, let your turn to chapter 5 and uh, look at verse 11. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is correcting their false doctrine a little bit and calling them back. And I want you to notice, number 5, that to be a teacher is a mark of spiritual maturity. To be a teacher is one of the marks of spiritual maturity. Notice the writer of Hebrews' words here. And this is where I was uh, telling you a minute ago about the fact that the Hebrew believers were wanting to turn away from the gospel of grace and go back to a a reshedding of the blood of animals and the sacrificial system. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The writer of Hebrews is really punching them in the nose. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. See that? You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Listen, this is why young believers get in trouble a lot. And they, and they re-enter their old sinful habits and lifestyle practices. Because they think they're more mature than they are. They lack discernment because they haven't entered into the deeper things of the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews, like Peter in his epistle, says they're on the milk of the Word when they ought to be on the meat, the deeper doctrinal truths that will highly impact your life. And look what he says. Solid food is for the mature. You ought to be teachers, but instead, you need someone to come reteach you. As a result, you don't have discernment and you, uh, you aren't trained to distinguish good from evil. That's why young believers ought to listen to mature believers and they ought to not uh, have a strong will when it comes to their decision making and they ought to readily submit to those who have spiritual authority and spiritual maturity because of the lack of discernment. It's easy to make bad decisions. Teaching is identified here clearly as a mark of maturity. Well, let's wrap up. I want you to see then number six. As we make some application, turn to Ephesians chapter six. It is, it is also a parental responsibility. As we make application for Father's Day, I want you to see that, that fathers are indeed to be teachers you may or may not aspire to spiritual leadership in the local church, but if you are a father and God has blessed you with children, you need to know that number six this morning on our list, that teaching is a parental responsibility. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 1, this is kind of uh, the classic and the most clear, specific passage probably in all the Bible on parent and children relationships. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse 1. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, children. This is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, now look at fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. And what's the next word? And the instruction of the Lord. Your job, Father, is to instruct your children. You cannot instruct if you're not teaching. I told you I added a seventh point, and it is this. If you're taking notes and you want to look up some verses later on, you can add to this text right here in point number six that it is a parental responsibility to teach our children the text that I read during the baby dedication, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. But also write down Psalm 78, verses 4 through 8. Psalm 78, 4 through 8. And this is the seventh point that I came up with at the last minute thinking about this. It is a generational necessity that we have good teachers. It is a generational necessity. Psalm 78, the psalmist says, I will teach your truth to the next generation. We have to have it. And the, the key person is Father. When Father believes it, and Father lives it, and Father is energized by it, Mama will follow and the kids will follow. Dads, how are you doing? Are you leading your family spiritually? I know it's not easy. You've got so many pulls on your life. God won't give you more than you can hold up under. 
Well, there it is. There's a kind of a biblical review of our three-word text today. The spiritual leader in the local church is to be able to teach. That means that it's the expected normal capacity for an elder to teach. It brings spiritual stability to our church when we have good teachers. There's evidence of a functional disparity among the elders in how they teach. Clearly, it's to be a pastoral priority, this teaching. It's a mark of spiritual maturity, but we are called as parents to teach. It's part of our responsibility. Ultimately, it is a generational necessity that we teach. I want to take just a couple more minutes, and in conclusion, I want to ask three questions, and to each of these questions, I want to give an illustration of what I saw in my father's life as to how he answered that. Things that came to my mind. Three questions that are very broad questions that each father needs to ask himself today. And then I want to give you an illustration from Eugene and how it impacted Van. Question number one, father. What are you modeling for your children? What are you modeling? As the lawn mowing illustration earlier Listen, your children are watching you. They hear your words. They watch how you treat your wife, their mother. Listen, I thought about my dad's garage, and I thought, if you want to see my dad's garage, look at my garage. It's a mess. One thing my dad taught me negatively was how not to clean a garage. But I was thinking along this line of something that has highly impacted my life, and I have thought about this many, many times throughout my ministry years. I was maybe eight, nine, or ten years old. And we would go to southern Michigan from northern Illinois, where my dad pastored a church in Chicago area. And we had started a Bible camp in near Kalamazoo, Michigan. That is part of the fruit belt of southern Michigan. Blueberries, strawberries, cantaloupe, tomatoes. It's a wonderful sandy soil there, and there's low land, and it's moist. And it's a tremendous fruit harvesting area. Because of the fruit harvest and the truck gardens... Uh, there was a tremendous amount of migrant working workers that were needed. Most of them were Hispanic. They lived in squalor conditions, especially back in the 60s when this took place. In the fall, when the harvest was over, they would move on down south following the harvest. And there in southern Michigan on one farm, my father loved to harvest and loved to can fruit. And so we had made friends with many of the farmers in the area. On one farm, the farmer would go south to Florida for the winter. And he kept one Hispanic migrant worker there all year in a little tiny little house all winter by himself with limited responsibilities, mainly to feed the dog, keep an eye on the property, make sure if the electricity went off, the pipes didn't freeze. I can remember many times my father making friends with migrant workers. And that particular migrant worker, my father, we would stop and take a plate of food to him, especially on holidays. We would take a plate of turkey and stuff on Christmas Day over to him, all by himself, back in this little corner of a room, lonely, his whole family, a married man with kids, down in Mexico. My dad ordering a Spanish Bible for him. Listen, Do you think that hasn't impacted my life and ministry and watching out for underprivileged people, caring about people that aren't like I am, that don't have what I have? That's modeling. Fathers, what are you modeling to your children?
Second question is, what is, what are you doing to motivate your children? What are you doing to motivate your children? This takes words. It also takes action. Oh, my dad, he, he wasn't perfect. And I can remember taking two by sixes and building a bench press my senior year, junior and senior year of high school. I wanted to lift weights and my dad, I would be bench pressing and my dad would make fun of me and it hurt my feelings. And, uh, until one day I got him to lay down and he couldn't bench what I was benching. And after that, he was quiet. But the reason is my dad grew up on the farm in northern Wisconsin, picking rock and blasting stumps and working hard with the sawmill. And so lifting weights was a waste of time. If you'd have been with me, we'd pick rocks or heavier than that. That's how you got strong. Words motivate, words can destroy the motives of the motivation of the heart of your child. But I remember for 11 years, for 11 years, I participated from early elementary school till I graduated from high school in the Bible Memory Association, BMA, because of my dad. You're going to memorize scripture, Van. You're going to memorize scripture. I can remember sometimes with the thread of the belt having to go back to my room on Sunday afternoon and memorize my verses because every Sunday night for 12 weeks in the wintertime we had to report our BMA every Sunday night. My dad probably warped me. You know, I'm probably a preacher because he made me memorize God's Word. I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for my dad. Dad, has your kid ever memorized a verse of Scripture because you've helped him? Third question, what are you mentoring them to become? What are you mentoring them to become? What is it you really want your kids to be? What is it about your life that is teaching your children to become something that they would not become if you were not present? Let me read a couple words that I said at my father's memorial service 12 years ago when he went to be with the Lord. I said... He left for us his example as he demonstrated to us an unswerving commitment to the word of God. In fact, each of us children will now own and return to our homes from this service with one of his worn out Bibles. How many of us have ever worn out even one Bible from study? My dad mentored with his life a love for the word of God. Oh, we loved many things because of my dad. I went on to say he left us an inheritance of his instruction. It lives on in us. And much of what he has taught us is what we now teach our children. Honesty, purity, generosity, zeal for souls, the priority of the local church, the importance of a prayer life to care about missionaries, the ability to work with tools, an appreciation for a tree and sassafras tea and good lumber and to watch for geese in the fall and to see deer along the side of the road or their tracks in the sand or the difference between an Angus and a Holstein. It's all from my dad. What are you mentoring your children to become? And will your children go home from their memorial service, your memorial service, with a worn-out Bible from Pops as a treasure of a life well-lived. Let's pray. I want all the fathers to stand right now, would you please? If you're a father, would you stand? I want to pray for you specifically right now. 
Father, it's with humble hearts that we as fathers stand before you. We are fully aware of our weaknesses. We are fully aware of the frailty of the flesh. Father, would you please strengthen us and embolden us. Father, if there's hidden sin in the hearts of any of the fathers, would you bring great conviction? Father, if there's a lack of discipline, would you help us to buck up and strengthen our feeble knees, strengthen our weak hands this morning? Father, would you renew in our hearts a zeal and a love for your word that our children would, would, that would spill over onto our children? Father, for the grandfathers here today, would you give them a renewed love for their grandchildren? Give them wisdom to know how to reach out to them. For those who have young boys in their home as a father, Lord, would you help them to know how to model and motivate and mentor? Show them what their boys can become, what their daughters can become. Father, we dedicate our lives to you. We dedicate our homes, our families, our marriages to you. We, we need your strength. We beg for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray.